1 John, starting in chapter 3. Remember, John has admonished us to walk in the light of Christ. That if we are born again in him, that we are dead to the world. That Antichrist will come and they will long to pull us away from the world. They will work to pull us away from the world. But that if we are in God, we live in him. We abide in him. Our life is in him, not in the world. And we live righteously, which means obeying God, loving God, loving his people. Chapter three starts, see what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So John does not use the weos uh, son of God, which is the mature son of God. He uses children to imply that, you know, there's much growth, that the life of Christ uh, still has work to do to bear out his purposes in us. He's indicating there is much greater things left to be done in the people of God than what has been seen so far. And and certainly, I, I, I think John would be very mature at the time, um, but, but John has a heart to connect with those he's talking to, and so it's a circular letter, and so he's, he's talking to all those who believe in Christ and are following after this way. And he says, when he appears to us, we shall see him how he is. The veil is gone. The filter's lifted. We truly know him. And that when and as we hope in him, we are purified because he is pure. For everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So sin is missing the mark. Lawlessness is to not be about the law, to be outside the law and act as if the law does not apply to us. Law, the law is God's order in the world, his right way of living, his instructions to us. If we are not obedient to him, or you know, working our way towards him, consciously agreeing to live to his way, even if we slip up from time to time, then we are in complete rebellion, and that is lawlessness. Five, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So he said, Jesus came to take away sin. In him there is no sin. He was in perfect obedience to the Father. But he came to take away this lawlessness, this sin, this fallenness, and this rebellion from us. If we abide in him, we do not keep sinning. We live according to his way. That is life in him. If we keep on going after our own flesh, that is not life in him.
That is continual rebellion. And he says something interesting here. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Remember up earlier, he talked about seeing him. Compare verse 2 with verse 6. Verse 2 would probably by many be uh, thought of as, oh, that's after we die. But if you compare it with verse 6, it doesn't appear. He talks about seeing Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and knowing him, and living your life in him. He's clearly talking about now based on verse 6, not the some future far-off time that lets us off the hook or takes away the prize of what this life is all about. So he says, look, don't be deceived. You're either living in righteousness, and therefore you're righteous, or you're practicing sin, and you're of the devil, who has always been a sinner from the beginning. He says, it's one of two ways. Which Examine yourself. Which way are you living? He said, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. So we live according to his way. Again, it doesn't mean we don't uh, potentially slip up. But the longer we continue to reorient our lives, to turn away, repent means to turn away, change our mind, or turn around. The more we continue to course correct back onto the Lord, the less and less of those uh, evidences of sin will be seen. But sin itself, there's two different things. Sin is a fallen life. It's a rebellious, lawless life. Fallenness, missing the mark. The effects of sin are, we can call them sins, and those are the, out, those are the effects, the things that we see, such as, well, I did this and I regret it. That, that's a sin. Um, or or that, those are sins. Sin itself is simply missing the mark. It's a life outside of Christ. He says, if we're born of God, we cannot keep on sinning. We live for him. If his life is in us, that's how we live. So he says, you can see who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Look at who practices righteousness, who abides in God. He says, and if you don't love your brother, you're not abiding in God. He said, this is the same message since the beginning. We should not be like Cain who murdered his brother because he was jealous of his brother. His own, his own deeds were not, were not righteous. They were evil and his brother was righteous. So he was jealous and he killed him. So let's not be like this, but humble ourselves before the Lord. He says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So he's equating what Cain did with you and I. If, if we don't love our brothers, he says, you're like Cain because you're murdering in your heart, in your mind. And so we know that the, we can see easily the evil of Cain, but when we think badly of a brother and think, you know, we've got murder in our hearts. He says it's the same thing. And he says, look, the world is going to hate you. Don't be surprised by that. They hated Jesus too. Jesus promised us the world will hate us. Be at peace with that fact. It's okay. If it's, if it's a big struggle for you, that's another part of you that needs to die. This desire that everyone should like you, love you. I know I've got that in me. I want everybody to like me, <laughs> but that's the flesh. It doesn't mean we go around trying for people not to like us. It just means it should not be a priority that everyone like you because Jesus promises 
If you're living in him, the world will hate you. So, you know, come to terms with that. Die to that part of yourself that wants everyone to like you. Treat everyone wonderfully. But if some of them turn around and hate you, then that is okay. You are in Christ, and that is all that you need. 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So very similar to James there. He says, what is love? Jesus showed us. He laid his life down for us. Now that he's given us new life, he calls us to lay our lives down for him. And that that means our brothers, lifting our brothers up, that he can have one complete family, that we die to ourselves, lay our lives down for others so that God's family can be raised up, that we... it, it makes us uh, filled with joy to, to suffer a little, just, you know, just putting our needs aside is all I mean by that, so that others can be built up in the Lord. 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. He says, if you're living in this way, you can be reassured. Even, even if we're, we're carried away by the, the concerns of our flesh or the evil one, God is greater than our flesh. He loves us and he does not condemn us because we are living in his son, Jesus. He knows everything. He says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence We can put our prayers and petitions before the Lord. And sometimes, you know, if it's a matter of our heart condemning us, it might be a a petition where, Lord, I'm in agony, I need help. A prayer would be more like, Lord, I love you and my life is yours. What, What do you have for today? What do you have? What is on your heart, Lord? And whatever we ask, when we've given him our life, when we're fully in him and care about his desires, not our own. Whatever he sets before us that we desire, he's going to give it to us because we are fully his and he knows he can trust us with it. Uh, Just repeating 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. 23, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. He said, it's pretty simple. We believe in Jesus. We believe in this life that he has ushered us into. We love one another. We love him. We love one another just as he commanded us. When we keep these commandments, we abide in God and God is in us. And we know that we have the Spirit, and this is our confirmation that this is true, because God himself abides in us. And then we're on in chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So if you think about it, sometimes we see something, maybe it's supernatural, maybe it just seems to make a lot of sense, 
And we believe it because either it's, you know, supernatural or it's just so logical. We think it has to be true. He's saying, test these things. The, the enemy, the devil is real, but he's not good. So is this thing from the Lord or is it not from the Lord? He's saying, test, be certain that the things you're accepting and bringing in are actually from the Lord and not from the world or the ruler of this world, the evil one. Two, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. This points right to the root of what God's doing, as we've talked throughout the entire scriptures, that God's plan is to have a family on earth, just as he told Adam and Eve, just as he told the people of Israel that he would have a, a kingdom of priests and kings, mature sons who are transformed to be like him and rule and reign in the world, teaching the world, all of creation, who he is. And so if we do not accept, which apparently at that time there were people springing up who didn't accept that the spirit of God could be in a man. And so they rejected this. He said, this is the whole purpose of God. Jesus came to make it possible that we could enter into this life. He was the first fruits of this life. He is the only begotten son, the first of many brothers. And he came for this very purpose. So if you're against this truth, this mighty truth that God wants to do in us, starting with Jesus and then to many, then this is antichrist. This is against the work purpose of God in the world and the purpose for mankind itself. For little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So he says, look, the spirit of God is in you. So even if you haven't reached full maturity to have full comprehension of all these things yet, God is in you and he has overcome the world and he's greater than anything in the world. He created everything in the world. So have confidence. He is in you. You're his. These people that come against you with these strange ideas, they are from the world. They speak from the world. The world loves what they have to say because they are ruled by the enemy, and the enemy is against God. So the world loves them, but we are not from that way, from the world. We are from God. So whoever knows God listens to us, or whoever God's calling listens to us. And those are the ones that we are called to teach and, and raise up and help. Those are the ones we give our lives for, because they hear the spirit of truth, and they want more of it. Those who hate our message, they are of the world. And don't worry about that. that, that they are going to exist you know, throughout time until the, the end. So you can't be upset that that is a reality. That doesn't mean if they're close to you that you don't you know, continue to try and pray for them. But, but in general, 
um, it's just a reality <laughs> that there is a final judgment and some are of the world and choose the world. Now, there's a we're blessed in this time that God is and will be shaking the world tremendously to get people's attention. So there will be a great harvest where many come to the Lord. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He says true love. He's not talking about the love of the world. We hear about that all the time. He's talking about true love, which means obeying the commandments of the Father. He says true love is from God and whoever does love is born of God and knows God. The life of God is in him. And the opposite is true as well. If you do not love God, uh, God is love. So you, you don't love, you don't have God. And the love of God was manifested among us when he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He came to bring us life. And this is the love of God for us, that Jesus would give up everything so that we could enter back into this life that our father Adam forfeited. And it's not even, if we understand what's going on here, it's not even that we love God. It's, it's like we're so humbled and nothing when we stand before the living God. It's that he loved us and made this way for us. That Jesus shed his blood to cover us and open up this narrow path for us to walk into his life. When we understand how much God has loved us, can we do anything but love each other? We can't see the face of God. But by loving each other, the, the life of God is in us. His love is perfected. This shows up in scripture in different places, but the glory of God is complete through us being his people. That's what brings him glory. That's what perfects his love. 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. He said, look, we have his spirit. What more confirmation do we need? And he says, uh, we, we, there were many of us, I'm still alive here, John, that I actually saw him in the flesh. So how can you even deny this? And he said, if you must confess Jesus is the Son of God, or God does not abide in you. And you have, do not have the Spirit of God in you. Because He is God. He is in God. They are completely united. There's the Father, and then there's Jesus, the only begotten Son. And He has completely laid His life down for the Father. So that if, if you read John, what, 14 to 17, he just talks on and on about, I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and we will be in you. And so they're completely unified. So that although they're separate, there's no difference between them. They have laid, Jesus has laid down everything for the will of the Father. And this is the way to mature sonship in God. 
16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So in a couple chapters back, he kept making this point that God is light. Now he makes the point God is love. It's, It's everything that is good in the world. We need light in the darkness. We need love. These things are God. The very essence of goodness in the world is the life of God. And he brings it and lives in us. That we have this light and this love in us as we abide in him. And it says to believe the love that God has for us. So it takes belief, it takes us continually seeking, believing, laying our life down for him. That we are filled, repenting from the ways of the world and entering in. And he fills us with this love. 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. This this practice of, of us becoming unified with God is the perfection of God's love. So when judgment comes, we, we have complete confidence because we've already judged our flesh. We've already died to it and done away with it. So what we are is all in him. Jesus has completely made the way for us to enter into this life. And this life is his life. So what is there left to judge? That's, he says, you know, if we walk this out, this is the way it's supposed to be. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. We are to live this life. 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence. Sorry, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So he says, if on one hand, it's important to know that there is a judgment coming. And for if we're not in right standing with God through Christ, then it's going to be very, very terrible. But he said, you should not be fearful of this because you've given your life to Christ. And so you have access and availability to perfect love, which you should be just living in, abiding in that love, which cast out all fear. If there's still fear here, that's the opposite. Romans 8, that's the opposite of the spirit of sonship. And so love casts out fear. There's no punishment in God. Jesus already took the punishment upon himself. So if there's still fear, you have not yet been perfected in love, but seek him. He will do it. 19, we love because... So uh, just, you know, we're in this world with virus all around. Virus numbers are up. Um, Man, I just see fear everywhere. That's a clear indication that you are still in the world if you're running around with fear. That doesn't mean you don't take precautions. That's two totally separate things. But if there's fear in your heart, in your mind about a virus then you're worshiping the evil one and you're not worshiping the Lord. Sorry if that sounds harsh. That's just the reality of living in fear versus abiding in Christ. And that's what he's talking about. Perfect love casts out fear. You shouldn't have any fear about it. 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, 
Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So again, he equates these two things. We can't say we love God if we have hate in our heart for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It, it's impossible. We can only love because he first loved us. And when he does love, and when his love fills us, we certainly should have more love for others. That is expressed in different ways in different people. But we need God's love if we are to form his body. And that's it for today. We'll pick up with chapter five tomorrow. God bless you.